Welcome back to our Wednesday night cheer. Oh no. Welcome back to our Wednesday night cheer. We had a little hiatus for the uh, holidays. We're technically going into our first Shabbos of the year. What happened to Adam? He texts me, he's home. I don't mind it. Pash Bereshis. It's called Shabbos Bereshis. Shabbos Bereshis because... It's connected, it goes into the same fervor, the same life, the same excitement, the same energy. Although, Shabbos Breshis is now in Tovshin Ayin Dalid, and is technically the first Shabbos of Tovshin Ayin Dalid, which we don't see that either, because we have usually... Hazinu is a bracha. Usually have Hazinu. But the first Shabbos, without festivities, is Pashas Nayach. On its own merit. I heard. That was my mayor. Believe it or not. I have to go. You going now? Yeah. This road. My cousin came from Israel. He's leaving tomorrow. We're recording this. But I can watch it on Skype, no? You can see it on Skype, yes. Okay. Tell your wife that it's not home yet. I'm going to pick it up right now. You stop later after the share? Huh? Listen. First Shabbos, Pashas Nayak. Neach is Sadik Tamim Hoya Bedelisov. Neach is Sadik, a Tamim in his generation. Quite a stature, quite a status. This Shabbos is also Rishchidish. Rishchidish Marcheshvan. Friday and Shabbos. Two days. Every Chedesh Cheshven, Chedesh always two days. Uh, 
halacha that we have sp- spoken many times, I'm sure, because it's important to say this halacha before Rishchidosh Cheshvan. Rishchidosh Cheshvan is different than any other month in the entire year, in many different ways, obviously. First and foremost, the difference between this Rishchidosh and any other Rishchidosh is that the Musaf Tfila, the prayer of Musaf, which is added, supplemental prayer, which is added every, on every Rishchidosh, may not be said by heart, may not be said in memory. We ask everybody, remind everybody on Skype to please turn off your microphones. Why do we not say, why may we not say Musif on Rishchidosh by heart? Unlike the rest of the year, which the monthly Musif on Rishchidosh may be said by heart, may be said in memory, because Rishchidosh Cheshven is a month that has not had a Rishchidosh for two months. Since it's two months since the last Rishchidosh, Halacha dictates that a person will not be 100% clear. Their memory will not remember 100% the Musaf. And therefore, we may not say it by heart. So that is relevant to us for this Thursday, this Friday and Shabbos as it is Rishchidosh Cheshvan. Obviously, the same would apply for Shabbos Rishchidosh always. When Rishchidosh comes out on Shabbos, we may never say it by heart, because that is never said more than thrice a year. Rishchidosh Cheshvan is the second month of the year, Tishrei Cheshvan, counting from Tishrei. But if we count the months from the month of Nisan, which is another calculation that some make, they start Nisan Ir Sivan Tamazavel instead of starting from Chedesh Tishrei. My webby is not looking after the uh, camera. So the people are getting. Ah, there we go. Can you get that thing off so stop stirring? You'll see him come up. He'll stop playing. Yeah, right. You just watch another spot on your screen. If a calculation is made from the month of Nisan, which is also referred to sometimes as the first month of the year, then it will be Nisan, Ir, Sivan, Tammuz, of El, Tishrei, Cheshvan. Cheshvan then be the eighth month instead of the second month, which if those count from the first month of Tishrei. The month of Cheshvan has a nickname in the Navi, 
in the Book of Prophets. And that name is the month of Bull. In Malachim Aleph, the Pasik says, in the eleventh month of the month of Khadish Bo, which is the eighth month excuse me, the eleventh year in the month of Bo. Why is it referred to as the month of Bo Bezvov Lamid, which is when the sanctuary was completed? Because this during this time, during this month for those people that live up in Muncie or something in that area, they could tell they could testify more than us Brooklynites can say it. The grass and the trees start to wither. The temperature changes and therefore the grass is not what it used to be. And therefore the lushan of Balay. Balay in the fields or Bailalin for the animals in the house. And therefore the word bull based is referred to as this month. This month's nickname is Chaydesh Bull. The Madish tells us much, ra- much rain falls in this month. The month itself is called, has a different than any other Hebrew month. Every month has one name to it Shvat, Adir, Nisan, Tishrei. Cheshvan is called. Oh, excuse me. It's similar to one other month, which is the month of Av. The month of Av is called Menachem Av. And the month of Cheshvan is called Mar Cheshvan. Mar Cheshvan means Mar, the word Mar usually is bitter. What is the bitterness of this month? Why is this month so bitter? This month is bitter because there is no holiday in this month. It's the only month of the whole year that has absolutely no holiday in it. That's one reason that it's called Mar Cheshvan. Another reason, on the 15th of the month of Cheshvan, Yerovam brought about a new holiday, which caused a lot of troubles for the Jews. On the fifth day of the month, uh, the the Chalidian killed all the children of King Tzidkiyahu in front of him, and they poked out his eyes and brought him in chains to the exile, to Babel. We know, of course, also in this month, the Mabel began to fall. The flood, the water of the floods began to fall also on this month. And therefore, this particular month, Mar referred to as Mar in a word of bitterness, which is a bitter that we all see, and Baruch Hashem and Mertz Hashem will turn around this month. And we take the word Mar, which is bitter, and we turn it around to Rom. And Rom means to lift up, to raise up, and we'll merit to a month where everything will raise up, spiritually, physically, and we will see all the true happiness and true holiness that this month will have to offer us. Of course, for my birthday. Wow, yeah. We are coming off of the holiday of 
the month of Tishrei, the holidays, Sukkot. But mainly, what still remains leaves remnants in the houses still is Shmini Atzeres and Simchas Torah. Still going over. Shmini Atzeres and Simchas Torah, the last two days of the holiday of Sukkot, only of course out of the Holy Land of Israel. In the Holy Land of Israel, there's only one day. This is a time where we leave the sukkah and return to the house. Although many Chabad, we eat in the sukkah on Shemini as well. But the general rule, most people only come in to only make Kiddush in the sukkah on Shemini and they eat in their house already. Even Chabad, who does eat in the sukkah, does not make the blessing of Leishe Basukkah. As everything else that we learn, as everything else that we discuss, we need to understand the concept, the idea that we are leaving the sukkah and going into the house. What does that teach us? What is that giving us? We know that sitting in the sukkah is a temporary dwelling. The concept of temporary, the idea of something being temporary, is in comparison, or it implies, the Jewish exile. The fact that we are in Golos. That we are not with Mashiach in the Holy Land of Israel. This is only a temporary situation. That's not where a Jew belongs. The home of a Jew is back home in Israel, in Arzenu HaKadoshah, our Holy Land, with our Holy Mashiach, with our Holy Temple, with all the spirituality that God has to offer us. When will be Kva? When will be settled? In the days of Mashiach. So the time that we are waiting now in Golis, that we are, that's waiting and waiting in Golis, is only a temporary status. But it has something, a mission for us. The only reason, for those of you who are keeping score at home, in the Gemara Psachim, page Zayin Amid Beis, 87, side 2, the Gemara tells us, the Jews were only spread amongst the nations so that the converts can come to them. Chassidus explains what is the concept of a convert when we say Gaden. It refers to the sparks, the Jewish, the spiritual, holy sparks that the Jews have to elevate in their service, in their service to God, wherever they may be. And therefore we find ourselves in this temporary dwelling in the exile in order to fulfill the service of bringing about and elevating all these sparks. 
But still, in all the Torah tells us, the days of Shemini Atzeres and Simchas we need to leave that status. We have to go to the status of permanent. Which even though the time of exile, which we are still in, unfortunately, we need to be in this temporary status, we have to pull ourselves out of this. <coughs> go to the true place. A person needs to strive and to try to become better and to be able to reach and ascertain the highest of levels like will be in the days of Mashiach. We know the first thing we teach a child, the first Pasuk, we want the child to know. After the Moda'ani, is Torah Tziva Lanu Moshe Merasha Kihilas Yaakov. Moshe commanded us Torah and its inheritance for the congregation of Jacob. This is the last portion of the Torah. Chapter 32, verse 4. In Pasha's Zeis HaBracha. Rashi tells us, when it refers to this Pasuk of the Kihilas Yaakov, the inheritance, hold it, don't leave go of it. Torah is very precious to us. Don't leave go. What does one have to do with the other? Hold it and don't leave go of it. Why does that have to do something to do with the Yerusha, with inheritance? But the word Achaznah, hold it, Achzenua, in Rashi does not necessarily mean hold it. Rashi is implying something totally different. Because the truth is, when it comes to studying of Torah, we never see anywhere that it says, hold the Torah. In Yiddish, the expression is, halt Torah, halt from Torah mitzvahs. When it comes to anywhere else in the halacha, when it refers to Torah, it says, limoda Torah, shmia, learning, hearing, not hold the Torah. So the word achuzah here that he's referring to is also translated as an inheritance. Rashi is implying as follows. He's hinting there's a, a law that when a person gets an inheritance or when they divided the Holy Land of Israel we're having a problem with the call. Sir, techie, take care of the phone. When the inheritance the Jewish land was divided up and people got their portions of land. This belonged to this person. And this belonged to this generation, generation, generation. Always this land belonged to them. What happens if, God forbid, somebody had to sell the land? They needed the money or whatever the situation was. The law is, in the Torah, after 50 years in the Yovel, the land goes back to the original owner. Who's that? Mm-hmm. 
The same is with the Torah. A Jew must always be bound to Torah. Because Torah is Meirosha Kihilas Yaakov. Torah is our inheritance that we must inherit and keep. And this holds on with us, just like the field that belongs to a family. We can ask in that case, if Torah comes in a way of Yerusha, inheritance, where does a child get their inheritance? From their father. What happens if the father doesn't study Torah? What happens if the father is not keeping Torah mitzvahs? Kasvashol. Then does the inheritance get lost? Does the son, God forbid, not able to get an inheritance? That's why Rashi is using this word. That Yerusha is the same concept of a Sada of a field that a person owns in his family. Since it's his, even if the person is not working on that field now, even if somebody else takes over the field for a while, ultimately the field comes back to you. And therefore, when it comes to the concept of Yovel, of 50, which is a very high level that the Jews reached, they waited 49 days to get the Torah. On the 50th day they received the Torah. The 50th level is the highest of levels. When the generation comes around, and the child comes to the 50th level, he gets back his inheritance that's rightfully his. And that's the concept of Meirosha Kihilas Yaakov. A relative of mine, a rel- actually my, my brother-in-law's brother, his name is Shmuel Gurevich, Shmuel Halevi Gurevich. He lives in France, in Nice. And there they call him Mula Gurevich. Mula had a fabrengen, a Hasidic gathering. Hundreds, a couple hundred people came together, and they were saying L'chaim together, they were drinking, and they were hearing different words of Torah from different people. And then suddenly, Rabbi Garevich got up, and he said, I must tell you all a story. Fascinating story. About ten years ago, this didn't happen now, this happened about 20, 15 years ago. Ten, about 15 years ago, and he's telling a story that happened 10 years prior. A fellow walked into his Chabad house. The Chabad house is all over the world. His was in Nice, Paris, France. And he said, um, I'd like to put on tefillin. And he put on tefillin. And he said, I'd like to learn how to daven. And he started to learn. And day by day, he was becoming more and more affiliated, more and more connected. And day by day, he started to come to Davin, Shachris, Mincha, Maidev, three times a day. And he was becoming very connected to the congregation. And all the congregants that came to Davin, 
Paul got to know this fellow. He's coming every day. One day he gets up and he announces a big simcha. He's engaged to be married. Ah! The joy and the happiness. Everyone was so, so happy. And everybody was greeting him and telling him, Mazal Tov. Except for Rabbi Garevich. Rabbi Garevich smelled something wrong here. And he pulled him on the side and he says, Duma. Listen. This girl, is she Jewish? This is Rabbi. No. She's not Jewish, but what does that matter? I'll be Jewish. I'll be religious. I'll keep kosher. I'll keep Shabbat and the Chag. So my wife's not Jewish. Rabbi Garevich said, That's terrible. You'll have children, they won't be Jewish. God forbid. You can't marry a non Jewish girl. And this went, this debate went back and forth. And Rabbi Garevich said to him, You know what? In my situation, if I have a dilemma like this, I would do one of two things. I would either travel to New York. Techie. Mm. I either travel to New York mm. and go to see the Rebbe. Where's my phone? Oh. Or, at least, at the very least, I write a letter to the Rebbe. Ask the Rebbe for a blessing, an advice. This fellow agreed. He said, fine, we're on. We're going tomorrow to New York. You and I, I'm not going myself, you're coming with me. And the next morning, welcome Atlanta, Georgia. Chaim with the fresca. told you Moshe Sani made sure this fresco for a good couple of weeks there shouldn't be a problem Kolakavod Moshe, God should bless you all the nachas from your nephew and from your own children God willing you should be married soon anyway Rabbi Garevich said come the man said to Rabbi Garevich come they went to the airport, they purchased two tickets they got on a plane and they came to New York Anyway, all the people heard that they were going to the Rebbe. So they all wrote letters asking for blessings. So this person had a bunch of letters now with him. And he came to 770 Eastern Parkway to Chabad Lubavitch headquarters. And he walked in to the secretary's office. And he gave the secretary all the letters that he brought except for his letter. He says, my letter, I'm going to give the Rebbe myself. Now, please understand this. It didn't work that way. The Rebbe was a very, very special person. A very special soul. And when the Rebbe walked in, nobody bothered, nobody disturbed the Rebbe. Everybody parted ways, nobody got the Rebbe's way. 
This fellow, though, was not to be controlled. He was determined. And as the Rebbe came out of davening, he ran over and he handed the Rebbe his letter. The Rebbe took it and went into his office. Very, very short time later, they were sitting upstairs and talking. A very short time later, the secretary comes out. He's looking for this guy, and Rabbi Garevich. The Rebbe answered. This was mind-boggling. There were times the people got waited for three, four, five months to get an answer from the Rebbe. And this guy, within the hour, or, le- or more, whatever it was, a few, very, very short time, relatively, received an answer. So Rabbi Garevich sat down with this fellow, and they started to read. The fellow wrote two things in his letter. The first thing was, Rebbe, I'm in love. I don't understand where Torah comes into my business, how Torah mixes into my personal life. If I want to marry a girl, it doesn't matter if she's Jewish or not Jewish, I want to marry her. And I want the Rebbe to give a blessing. The second thing he said, I brought a bunch of letters with me. If the Rebbe is not giving me a blessing because I'm marrying a non-Jewish girl, it shouldn't affect, God forbid, anybody else's letters that I brought, and they should all get their blessings. And the Rebbe answered to both things. The Rebbe said, first of all, there is no Jew in the world that doesn't deserve a blessing. Every Jew has to be blessed. First of all. Secondly, said the Rebbe, as far as the non-Jewish girl, it's not fair on her. If you truly love her, you'll leave her alone. It's not fair on her to have to make her marry out of her faith. She's Catholic. She has a religion. She has a faith. Why are you making her marry out of her faith? She will never be happy with you. The man said, Rebbe, that's your opinion, I guess. And you're obviously not telling me why Terry doesn't like this. But I'm doing what I want. They went back to France. The wedding plans went on as scheduled. Invitations went out. Now in France, there's a very religious ceremony, and then there's the secular ceremony. The very religious ceremony, depending on your religion, and the secular one, you went in front of the mayor, and the mayor asked you to accept your vows three times. And three times you have to accept. It was a tradition more than an actual law. But that's what, how it was worked always, and that's how it was done. The wedding day arrives. And the fact is, though, that no matter what you do in the first part of the religious ceremony, if you don't accept three times in front of the mayor, you're not married. They went to to a church, and everybody bowed down, and he bowed down. And everybody did it, he did everything that the Catholics were doing. He had no problem. Then they went in front of the mayor. 
And the mayor asked her, do you take this man as your, as your husband? And she answered, oui, oui. And he asked the second time, and she said again. And the third time, and she said again, yes. And then the mayor turns to the husband and says, and do you accept this woman to be a, what is it, awful, let, awful wedded? What is the word? Awfully leaded. Awfully leaded, misleaded, whatever it is. Awful life, awful, awful wife. <laughs> lawful, 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 okay. As Tony did a <laughs> To be a lawful wedded wife, dreaded wife. And the man stood there looking at the mayor for a second. His eyes opened up bigger than his head. You could see that he was frightened to death. And he said, no. And everybody thought it was a joke. Started to laugh. So the mayor asked him again. And now he screamed, No! No! The mayor didn't even try to ask a third time. Because before they could turn around, the entire family pounced on this Jewish fellow. And they wanted to kill him on the spot. How dare you humiliate our relative, our sister, our daughter, our cousin, whatever she was. This is obviously in the mayor's presence, so there's security there. So the security got involved, and by the time they broke up the fight, this man was gone. He booked it, he ran home, he grabbed his passport, and flew away from France. It's all the story Rabbi Garevich is telling. The man stayed away from Nice for several years until he found out that this girl had married, was happily married now, and the family forgot about him. They forgot they wanted to kill him for what he did and everything else. And by the way, he had sent them a check to cover all the expenses. Any expenses that he had to pay for, he paid for it, he apologized, but he said he couldn't go through with this. He returned home finally, quietly, And he told Rabbi Gerevich. Rabbi Gerevich asked him, I don't understand. No compris. You went into a church. You bowed down. You listened to their hymns, whatever it was. You let them spray you with the holy waters. Everything you did over there, why, by the mayor, did you back out? What happened? And he said, in front of the church, I felt I was getting married. I love this woman. I'm going through with it. I'm going through with it. Then we left the church and we came to the mayor's office. As the mayor asked me to marry if I want to marry this woman, I saw in front of me, the Rebbe, was standing there physically in front of me, and the look in his eyes, put such a fear of God through me, there was no way, there was just no way I could do it. 
And Rabbi Gerevich continued the story. And he said, And tonight, I must tell you all, that this fellow became totally religious. Baruch Hashem got married. Baruch Hashem was blessed with children. And Baruch Hashem lives in our community and sends his children to our schools. And, says Rebbegarevich, I would even encourage him to stand up and take a bow for what he had done. And everybody waited. Nobody knew who it was. Nobody knew this person's private story. Could have been anyone. And everybody just sat there waiting in anticipation. They waited and they waited. The man did not stand up. Anyway, Fabrengen went through the few more hours. As the Fabrengen came to an end, everybody went home. The next day, Rabbi Gurevich called up this man. And he asked him, What happened? Did I embarrass you? I'm sorry for embarrassing you. He says, Embarrass me? Why did you embarrass me? I embarrassed you when I, when, I, when I mentioned your story and I asked you to stand up and you didn't want to stand up, obviously. So the man says, you didn't embarrass me. He says, why didn't you stand up? He says, because when you mentioned the story, I relived it. When I relived it and you got to the point of me standing in front of the Rebbe, I froze. I froze just like I froze then. I saw the Rebbe in front of me again. I couldn't stand up. I couldn't move. So we see that if we follow in directive, we follow the words of the tzaddik, how our life is always sheltered and protected. Which brings us back to this week's parsha. Noyach is tzaddik tzaddik. Tomim hoye bederesov. Noyach was a righteous man. He was a complete man in his generation. Rashi explains this word. What is bederesov his generation? Rashi says, There are those people that say that this is an implication of embarrassment. Why? <coughs> if he did according to his generation, he was righteous. Had he been in the generation of Abraham, he'd be worthless. Wow! Wow! You want to tell me 
I don't know, you, you see, if you look up in the Gemara Psachim, right in the beginning, second page, the Gemara Psachim tells us, why does the Mishnah use the word the light of the 14th day, which means, ultimately, the night prior to the 14th, Er should mean light, means daytime. Why does it say Er meaning the night before? Because the Tera likes to use the nicest language. The Tera refrains from using language that is coarse. The proof, a piece of proof that the Gemara brings down from the Pasuk and the Tera. This also, by the way, for those who want to check, if you don't want to check Pesachim, you can go to Baba Basra 123, side A, which we'll talk about what our situation now. When it comes to an animal, and the tailor describes animals, the tailor says the pure animals and the unpure animals, but it doesn't say the unpure animals. It says, Behema Atehera, Behema Neno Tehera. Says the Gemara in Baba Basra, even the embarrassment of a animal that is impure, the Torah doesn't refer. What do you have there, Baba Basra? Yeah. Are you holding a Baba Basra? Yeah. 123 side A. Wait, I'm going to check the text. 123 side A. So if the tater is so immaculate and careful not to mention an impure animal, not to refer to it as impure, how does the tater say, ha so there's another volume to it, genius. <laughs> you only have the first volume. This is one star on it, on the side. Doesn't have the one star? It has one star in the middle. Yeah. The tractate Baba Basra on top has one star. See that? I'm, from New York to Atlanta, I can see it. <laughs> I have here the other one if you want. <laughs> so if the tailor is careful about embarrassing an animal, how could the tailor embarrass Noyach? How could the tailor say something wrong about Noyach? The tailor is not saying something wrong. The derogatory expression takes on a different dimension. When the Pasuk says, teva, that Nayak is told to come to the Teva, the Al-Terebbe says, 
in the Sefer Tereir, that this is hinted in the Pasuk, to save the Jews, save the world, from the waters of the flood. What are the waters of the flood? That refers to Tirdes HaPanosa, the trouble of working, of making a, a Panosa. And the thoughts that have to do with the worldly thoughts, whether the government is open or the government is closed, whether the IRS is working or not working, etc. Why is the post office working if the government is shut down? Is he working? No. Nope. <laughs> Adam, come to New York. <laughs> so you have to come and you have to go into the Teva, into the words of Teda and Tefillah. He already said that he's using these hours to learn. A person could think. A person could think. The fact that Neach was saved from the Mabel because he went into the Teva is because he was a righteous man. They have their own budget. Okay. But someone who's in a lower level Someone who's not a righteous man, someone who's not a tzaddik, who says they can be saved from the flood waters by going into Torah and Tefillah? Therefore, Rashi tells us that Dorshu Esneach Lignai, there are those that try to refer to Neach in an embarrassing level. To say that in the nation, in the generation of Abraham, he'd be nothing. To let us know that in his generation he was a tzaddik, but he wasn't such a tzaddik. But still, even though he wasn't such a tzaddik, the words of Torah and Tefillah saved him from the flood waters. And the same is each and every one of us. We don't have to be a tzaddik gomer. To be saved from the flood waters. I am not holding my phone. If you are getting text, it's not from me. <laughs> I got it again. The question becomes <laughs> they tell a story of two fools. Two fools. And the signal on the car, the blinker, wasn't working. So they went and they got a bulb and they put in a new bulb. Now someone has to see if it's working. So one fool went to the back of the car, and the other fool got behind the wheel. He turned on the car, and he puts on the blinker. And the fool in the back says, It's working! It's not working! It's working! It's not working. So, it was going on and off, obviously. We have this question. We just said, and we'll elaborate on this, Boy, Ato, V'chol Beisecha Come you and your whole household to the Teva. And we know that Vashemtov translates this Pasuk and says Teva refers to the words of Teva and Tvila. 
And Bayal teva, come to the teva, refers to each and every Jew, has to come and bring himself into the words of Teirah and Tefillah. Beautiful. Beautiful. We run into a problem though. We read a little further in the Pasha. This, when it says, Bayala Teva is chapter 7, verse 1. Chapter 8, verse 16, the Teva says, Tzemena Teva. Go out. If you're telling me that the Teva refers to Teva and Tefillah, of words of prayer and words of learning Teva, and that's why we've got to go in there. How does the Torah say, Tzei, go out of it. The truth is, life is very important to listen. That the Seder Aveda of a person, the order of a person's life service, because why is he in this world? So he makes a dwelling place for God. So the truth is, he has to go out there into the world. He has to go out of his meditations, out of his all his <coughs> spiritual elevations of Torah and Tefillah, and to bring light to the world. Together with this, though, a person has to have, in order to do it right, the preparation has to be Boyalateva. Before you can go out and preach, you have to come in and study. You have to know this well before you go out there. Reish is called Tzarek Yehudi Lashkia Atzmei Betechateva First things first, a person needs to envelop, entrench themselves in the study of Torah and Tefillah. After you're there for a Shona Tamima, a full cycle, the cycle which means brings about all different trials and tribulations, then it's possible. Once you're an expert in this, you have the potential to tzeim and to go out to the world and to make it adir leizbarach b'tachtenim. I told the story Sukkis. Before I tell the story that I told on Sukkis. What is Bayal Ateva? What is tzeim Ateva? Come into the words of Torah, go out from the words so confusing they tell, I heard today a story the second Chabad Rebbe was called the Mitle Rebbe and the Mitle Rebbe used to smoke cigarettes you gotta watch Mitle Rebbe was once sitting there smoking a cigarette he was concentrating and smoking inhaling taking away, exhaling. And he was concentrating on something very, very spiritual. And he was standing by a window. And the Alter Rebbe walked by, 
and pulled the cigarette out of his hand. And the mitzvah ever remained like this. He continued going through the motion of smoking the cigarette, although he didn't have the cigarette in his hand. He was oblivious to the fact that the cigarette was there or not there. He was in such a high spiritual level of train of thought that he didn't, it was all going through a motion with the cigarette in his hand. With the cigarette out in his hand, he's also doing the same. This is how one has to get into Teda. God comes to Noach and commands him, I want you to build an ark. And Noach said, right. <coughs> Never mind, we're not going to bring up that story. No, Bill Cosby does not come to this year, he cannot be talked about. Um, the explanation, the commentaries tell us in the Torah, Neach worked for 120 years on building the Teva. Let's be honest. I don't know. Unfortunately, in my life, I haven't had it. I'm quite confident and sure that any of you here listening or going to listen to this download, if God came to you and told you to do something, by golly, you'd get it done quick. 120 years? Really? God told you to build an ark, it takes you 120 years? And you know what? Why did he tell him to build the table? Because there's going to be a flood and everybody's going to drown. So we need the ark. So you still procrastinate for 120 years and, and endangering the entire creation because they're all reliant on this ark to be saved. And if they don't have the ark, they're all going to drown. He was busy smoking. <coughs> the commandment that Almighty gave Noach, Asei Lecho Tevas You have to make it. You, in singular, he didn't say you all. He didn't say hire a company. I want you personally. Mind you, for those of you that are not up to date on the latest of news, Noach was six. Hundred years old when he received this commandment. So if he has to do it by himself, and if you look up the dimensions of this teva, it's obviously going to take time. And the truth is, <laughs> a teva of three hundred amas long. And the height and the three floors, etc., etc. He did pretty good in 120 years. But the fact is the will was that the 120 years was in order that people should come and ask, What are you doing? Why is it in my driveway? <laughs> no. They came to ask, 
What are you doing, Noah? And Noah answered, I'm building a table, I'm building an ark. And I said, why? They said, because God is going to send a flood and destroy the world. And they said, right. And <laughs> The government wasn't a shite in financial permits. <laughs> they were shocked. What a shocking thing to say that God's going to destroy the world. God's being a flood. And that's why you have to building this ark. And he explained to them, you're not behaving right. People are not behaving right, and therefore, no. If the world would have done tshuva, they wouldn't need the teva. It wouldn't have been a flood. <laughs> Question was, was the teva big enough to hold all of mankind? The answer is no. Therefore, it was actually... It filled the capacity. There was three three couples up, four couples up. There was more than enough. Three couples with mother, with, a, with a mother-in-law. Anyway, um, Ashviga. So the fact is that he had to reach out to people and explain to them the world is going to be destroyed because of the sins. Please do tshuva. Please repent so we don't have to use this ark. And the story that I told on Sukkot, because I heard it from my dear friend Rabbi Levi Parij from London, his son-in-law went out on Chalamay to work, and to Manhattan, and he was walking, he went, although he was going to work, he took with him his little Vanessa. And an old Jew stopped him in the street, and said to him on the train, and said to him, I have to make my blessing. And the old man took the little Vanessa, blessed on it, and made a Shekhyano as well. And he said, um, you didn't make a brach here on the little. He says, no. He says, I'll tell you what happened. He says, I was in the hospital. I was in the hospital lying sick. And I kept asking, where are the Lubavitchers? Why are they not coming to Blanchesig with me? Similarly, concept of the Bavichers, I went to pay a, a, my respects to the Shiva call to a dear friend, the rabbi of the emissary of Seattle, Washington, of Washington State, Rabbi Schoenberg Levitin, lost his father, 90 plus years old, 96 or 97, I don't remember. And he told me that in 1967, 66, they translated in English the second part of the Tanya, Shara Yichid Vermuna. So this, the Tanya has five sections to it. The second section was translated into English. And the Rebbe said the reason it was translated was for the non-Jews to be able to read it as well. For non-Jews to be able to learn it. Now, of course, the Jews should also benefit from it, but the Rebbe said at that time, and then he had, he said, an occasion where he was with his children in the park in Seattle, and a fellow walked over to him and said, Are you a Lubavitcher? And he said, Yes. And he said, I study Tanya every single day, the man tells him. 
And Rabbi Levitin said, are you Jewish? And he said, no, I am not Jewish. I find it fascinating. I find it amazingly elevating. And therefore I study Tanya every day. At that point, Rabbi Levitin says, he heard ringing in his ears. The Rebbe's translation of English, the reason for the translation of English of Tanya. And of course we also know that the concept of the translation of all the Torahs that possibly can be translated into English is that the entire world should be able to learn it. When Moshe Rabbeinu began to explain the Torah, to repeat the Torah, he did so in 70 different languages so that the entire world, no matter where they come from, will be able to learn Teda. And as we said before, that any place that there will not be a Jew, the people keeping the seven Noachide laws will fulfill Lashavas Yitzara, will fulfill the concept of Jews being in captivity there. And therefore, once that is complete, which is already complete, we are now up to and at that level, at that stage, where we need Mashiach to come this Shabbos, we need Mashiach to come today, so the Shkedish Cheshman should be, huh? I tell you about the guys over here, I told them the story, the 16 years. They all heard it already. Yeah, we should tell them that we met another year. It's late. Mm-hmm. And we should merit to spend this Shabbos, Pashas Neach, the flowing waters should be flowing waters of goodness and kindness that God will bestow upon us and we'll sit in the Sukkah Achas eating from the Sherabin, the Livyasan, in Yerushalayim, Yerakedesh, Shabbat Shalom to all.